and building a little bit of a relationship is always a, a great thing there as well, because you're going to be in the deal with the long with the investors for a period of time. And, and they know that too. So they're looking to check you out. You're looking to check them out. So the key is you have to demonstrate the growth story. So step one, you must have a growth story. Step two, you must be able to tell it or articulate it. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Lock, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Now, today we have another great expert episode, and I always love the expert episodes because not only do we get to go through people's journeys like we go on the normal one, but on the expert episode, we get to hear a whole bunch of expertise, and I get to learn a lot, and hopefully you guys get to learn a lot too. So with that, we have uh, Hall Martin on, and he's going to talk about one of the things that most startups and small businesses and even or growing businesses have the question on, which is money. Now, not just money as far as how you can spend it, but how do you do fundraising? How do you do investing? You know, where to begin and how to get started and how to find investors and how much should you raise and when you shouldn't raise too much and figuring out how much you need to raise and what evaluation you should put on your business and how do you finding you know yourself as a faster growing in a business and in the what markets and type of things and long-term planning and i don't know if we're going to get to all that but this can be a great conversation so with that hall welcome on the podcast thanks for having me devin looking forward to it so before now before we dive into discussing money and investing and fundraising all those fun things or at least that I find fun why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself why you're an expert on this episode and why people should listen to you Great well I was working for a large company here in Austin for about 20 years and they actually went IPO back in 1995 and I started doing angel investing and started to you know just start putting money into deals and started losing money and started realizing well this is harder than it looks and uh, decided to start joining other angel groups to find out how best to raise you know raise funding and how to invest in them and ended up launching three angel groups in Texas back in 2006, seven and eight, and had good returns from those groups as well. And then just kept going. I actually started my company, what's now called 10 Capital. Back then it was called Texas Entrepreneurs Network. Uh, in 2009, I, I started it and we were helping startups and investors connect for funding. We did funding forums around the state of Texas, all the way out to El Paso and back to Dallas, Austin, and Houston. And so it was a lot of fun. And so I've just spent the last 20 years working in this space, uh, working with startups and investors to connect, making the helping the startups get their pitch ready, get their documents ready, and then helping investors do their diligence and make their decision and figure out their investment thesis. And have just carried that that work on for over 20 years now and have just seen Oh, you know, uh, you know, many, many deals, uh, well into the over 10,000 by now and pitches that went with them as well. And then have talked to many different kinds of angel investors and how they invest and why they invest and so forth. And have seen the, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of, of startup funding and investing itself and have, have some experience to share with others for those who are interested. Well, that's a great, uh, great uh, a lo- level of experience and a lot of it sounds like a fun time as well. And uh, I definitely appreciate the introduction. So now with it, without any further ado, let's get into the get into it with the topic of Hannah bit. So the first question I would, you know, I think a lot of startups and small businesses would probably have um, is just kind of 
where to begin now if you've been a you know an event or if you've done a startup before you've been an investor or something that you probably have a pretty idea okay here's you know kind of where to begin here's how to get started but let's say you take the person that you know maybe you've everything from you have a great idea you have a prototype and you're looking to go get your investor dollars all the way up to you you know you have a business that has reoccurring revenue and you're looking to get investor dollars you know to kind of take the next level kind of within those, and I get that that's a very big category and a very big range, but kind of where do you get started with within this if it's, it's your kind of first entrance in to doing fundraising and looking in or getting investors on board? Right. Well, the first thing you want to do is make sure you have your business together. You're ready to go. You've got something that you know the market is excited about. If you've got revenue, that that is a big, big step forward of validation. And at the early stage, what investors are going to be looking for is just that validation. People are supporting you. That is, you are supporting you. You're putting in money. Your family and friends are supporting you. They're putting in money. Customers are supporting you. They're putting in money. And as you draw that circle wider, everyone is signing up to be a part of this in some way, shape, and form. And hard dollars on the table speaks louder than anything. And so you're starting to gather those proof points as you go down the path. The one thing you don't want to do is skip putting money in, skip your family and friends' money, go out across and then start saying, well, nobody back home would give me money. How about you? Because that that's going to kill it right there because you, you didn't prove a validation. You didn't get support for it along the way. Some do crowdfunding along the way. If you can make a good successful campaign on Kickstarter or now the equity crowdfunding portals, by all means, consider that as well because that's even more proof points there as well. That's how you kick it off is you start putting together your business, start generating interest from customers. My rule is you always, when you talk to an investor, bring up the customers that you're dealing with, what they're saying, what they're asking you, what they're telling you and so forth, because it shows you're in the market, you're connected to the market. So many people want to talk about the product, that's fine. But if it's just about the product and I never hear anything about customers, I start to wonder, did you do this all by yourself or did you do this in conjunction with the market? And you want to be doing this with the market, have market reality coming into it, uh, even before you build a product, you should have market reality coming into it. I hear many people say, well, I'm not going to generate revenue. I'll do that later. Right now, I'll just work on the, the product. And I know with uh, 100% certainty, you're going to build the wrong product. If you don't have the market there with you, you'll be down the wrong path. So make sure you're there with the market or bringing them along the way as you go forward. No, and I think that's great. Or some great advice, getting some of that validation and probably validation earlier on. Now, a couple of questions just kind of that I'm sure people have is to what kind of validation should they be going for? And I'll give you, you know, and you hit on a couple, you could do everything from, hey, I'm in this, I put in some of my own money, I, I have faith in it, and I, you know, I'm invested, it could be friends and family that either they put in money, or I've gotten my friends and family tell me this is a great idea. And so I should go forward, it could be you go ask, you know, actually start to pre sell it or get, you know, and that can be whether it's crowdfunding, or whether it's, you know, you simply just go out and you go to your potential customers and see if they're willing to commit, or at least give you an, you know, letter of intent or something of that nature. And or you can go out and to people on the street and do market surveys, you know, kind of within the different levels of validation and kind of what is the things that they should be doing or the, if they can only focus on a few of them, where should they get started? 
Sure. So we start with product validation and market validation. Product validation is the product works. Someone's using it and they're getting value. And you can tell in the engagement, you know, they're, they're engaging it on a regular basis and they're getting value. If they can tell you what level of value you get, that's huge as well. You always want to come with numbers. You don't want to just say my product's better. You want to say my product is 2.5 times better than the competition. It shows you've really measured it and you know what you're talking about. The other validation is market validation. People will pay for it. If they'll put some money on the table, even if it's a discounted price or a, a, a different rate price, it shows that they're, they're valuing it enough to put some money. A third validation that you want to look for is competition. Many people don't want to talk about competition because they, they're afraid the investor is going to think, well, you can't uh, compete or you won't have the marketplace. But if you're working in a very large marketplace, usually there's plenty of room for plenty of players. And one thing you'll find is competition, especially among the venture capitalists, they actually look for that because that validates your market. If you're in a market where there is zero competition, that they're going to walk away saying, well, there's probably not a market there. If you're in a market where there is some competition, well, then now you know that other people have found this to be a good market. So you're validating that market and the competition is a sign of approval. I also find the competition really helps explain what you're doing. In many people, they tell me my market is a $5 billion market and we're in the healthcare space. Well, that's a very big space. It could be a lot of things. When they tell me who the competition is, I start to get a better picture of exactly what they're doing which really oh, helps because if people don't have context in what you're doing, it's very hard for them to move forward and uh, build on the rest of the story that you're telling. So those are the levels of validation you want to look for. No, and I think that that is great advice. And, you know, one of the things that I, I think that makes sense is, you know, when you're looking for validation going out, I think that what you hit on as far as a competitor, in other words, every, I think everybody has a competitor. And if you don't, you're not, you're, you're going too narrow and you're not broad enough. In other words, if I were to take Henry for, and let's say he's not the first one to create a car, but let's say he was, there was competition before you had trains, you had horse and buggy, you had walking and everything else. And to say, well, nobody else makes a car doesn't mean you don't have competitors. It just means you need to broaden your scope. And so I always think looking at the competitors and saying, now they, people often, I think times will say, well, yeah, but those competitors are doing it so terribly or poorly, or they're not doing it as well. Well, that's great. You can now highlight why you're doing it better. What makes your, the difference for you, but to simply say, I don't have any competitors. I think 99% of the time you can push back and say there's competitors in some, some form or fashion. Now, with that, so let's say I get out, go out and I get a whole bunch of validation. So I bootstrap it. I put in some of my own money. I put in some of my family's money. I do a Kickstarter campaign and I blow it out. I go and I get or talk with the customers. I got some pre-orders. I do all the validation. And now I don't know that, that ever, company ever exists, but let's say it did. And they get a whole bunch of great validation. And they're saying, okay, I'm pretty well validated or as validated as much as I can think I can. Now, how do I go out and find investors? You know, because that's another question that people often ask is, okay, I think I've got an investable product or I think it's going well, or I'd love to get investors. And some of them are just way too early stage and all they want to do is have an idea and, you know, go get an investor. And they think that once the investor hears their idea, that's all they need to do. But let's say you're a little bit more, you've got that validation. And now you're trying to go out and find those investors, figure out where to look for them, which investors are right and kind of which ones are wrong. And should I shotgun it, just go after everybody or should I be more narrow and, and tailored? So open it up as to how do you kind of go out and go about finding investors? So there's four kinds of investors you might want to look for that 
go to early stage companies. One is the angel investor. These are people that are putting their own money into the deals and you'll find them oftentimes in angel groups. And so they're pretty easy to find. If you go online, you can find the angel groups in your area. But also think that after the pandemic, most angel groups are now online and they're in many ways open to uh, deal flow from across the country. So you can start to find those that are specific to your area like healthcare or what have you. The next one is you look at venture capital and usually usually venture capital is the first place people want to go to, but realize venture capital has a very specific business model and you have to ask, do I fit their business model? Can I give them a 10x return in the next five to seven years? Is it super high growth? And you have to be very candid if this deal is in that category then it's worth going to the venture capitalists. If it's not, and there are many good businesses that are not, well, then you want to look at the other ones that we're discussing. The other one that's coming up strong is the crowdfunding world. It used to be crowdfunding was this thing where we did consumer products and so forth. But more and more, I'm finding many tech deals and healthcare and others are actually using crowdfunding because it is yet another crowd. And it is something that you can put on the website that in a third of a second, can somebody look at it, get what you're doing, and either get excited about it or not? And you're reaching out primarily through social media. There's many groups out there that will help you run those social media campaigns to drive traffic to it. And so I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's you may need to reposition your deal so you fit into this world of crowdfunding. What you'll find with angel investors is that they want three to five times their money in three to five years. So it has to be just a good, decent return. Venture capital, if it's not 10x or more, we, we, we don't care. So you have to be in that category. And the, the fourth one is called family offices. And these are like angel investors, but on steroids. They just have a lot more money they can put in. I find they're a little bit risk averse. They want to come in a little bit later in the game, but they're not tied to a 10-year fund window like venture capital where I have to deploy my money in the first three years, my follow-ons in the next two years, and then ride it out. They, they've got some fairly tight parameters. Family offices can be much more patient money. They can be in there for much longer and they can do a lot for you as well. So think about what is the right type of investor for your deal. And you may have to talk to two or three of them to start to get a sense of where your deal is going to resonate. Now, one question just Paul, because I think that's great. And I think that there's definitely, I think realizing that there isn't just, Hey, I always go for venture capital. Well, maybe you need to go for an angel. Maybe you need to go for crowdfunding. Maybe you need to do a combination of do crowdfunding first, right? Or show some market traction or market fit and or people wanting it validate like we talked before and then go for those others. But one question kind of the tag along with that is, for those different kind of categories, and I know it's a pretty broad question, is when you're about your when you're figuring out how much to raise, is there sometimes they're just saying, hey, if I only need twenty thousand dollars, and I'm making up the number, but a low number relatively, um, you know, should you just not consider one of the platforms or another? In other words, you know, because sometimes you got a business and you only need you got a food truck business, and I don't know if food trucks a great investable business, but you know, you're saying all I need is thirty thousand dollars to get one food truck to prove out the concept. So, do, are some of the deals too small? Should you be evaluating it too high, or how do you go about evaluating how much you should raise or should be raising? Sure. So, if you only need a twenty or thirty thousand dollars, that's really family and friends. Just go get three 10K checks from family and friends and be done with it and go out and prove the next step. What you'll find with the other ones, venture capital, angel, and even crowdfunding is it's a fair amount of work to put those together. 
You have to put together investment documents, a data room, which is all the key documents that one would need in a diligence setting. And then you have to come up with a term sheet, in most cases, a convertible note or a safe note. And if you're going out to raise money and you're doing all that work for $30,000, investors will probably look at that and say, well, that's probably not enough money to really give you runway. So I found that the minimum for angels that you should ask for is $250,000. Anything below that, they're going to say, well, you're doing a lot of work for probably not a lot of benefit. You have to be above 250 or better 500. And now you'll have some real runway to work with on this. Same thing with crowdfunding. You'll find you have to fill out forms, go through some compliance work, fill out uh, different registrations. And if you're doing all that for 20K, it's probably not going to pay back uh, the time you spent into it. So you want to go for at least 100K on a crowdfunding uh, platform as well. Venture capital, you know, the micro VCs, those who are, have a sub $100 million fund, of which there are plenty out there, they write 150K checks on the first round and then uh, 250, 500 on the next round. And the bigger funds write bigger checks as well. But, but they're going to go through a very rigorous diligence process. And you're going through a very rigorous time of actually getting to meet with them and pitch them and take them through the process as well. So again, uh, 250-500 is really a minimum amount you want to raise when you go talk to those different groups. No, and I think that makes sense. And that kind of gives you a milestone if you're saying, hey, if I'm at below you know, 50,000 or below 100,000, really below 250,000, I should strongly either find the small or the funds that are willing to invest and make those smaller funds, which some of them are out there, but most of them are, and do a much more due diligence. But to your point, most of those funds are going to look and say, hey, it's going to take us a considerable amount of work. If we only do the small amount, it's probably not going to have the returns that we're looking for. doesn't mean it's not a good business. just means it's not necessarily investable. So now the, the one of the additional questions is, is, you know, and I think we chatted a bit before the podcast is there's also the ability. So one, let's say you go out and figure out this is how much we need, or this is how much we can justify. And two, you can show the validation and maybe have some recurring revenue. Now, how do you figure out how much you should ask? So let's say you could go, you could justify, you could show validation, you could go ask for 500,000, you could go ask for $5 million and you know, you could probably justify it either way, but you're going to give up a lot more equity along the way. Is there, is there a time when you shouldn't ask for as much or you should ask for a lower amount or should you just ask for as much as you can, as, as quick as you can to blow it up and to show that you're a unicorn? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a big advocate of you raise for each milestone break your fundraise down into smaller steps. That way you don't spend the rest of your life just raising money. You actually get to go build a business too. And one thing you'll find is that uh, at the very early stage of the business, your valuation is very low. So any money you take in will be costing you quite a bit in dilution. So you take in the minimum amount. That's why you're really trying to see how much can I do with 500K and see how far that will get me down the path of you know raising revenue and actually running the business and so forth. And then you, know, you can then do series A and or other raises afterwards to continue to grow the business, but you actually don't have to, your, your, your valuation will be taking a stair step function up every time you go and generate revenue and build team and build product. And so bigger raises later will not be so expensive for you as well. Yeah. And to, you know, to show you that usually the first money in is the most expensive money. And so I think that definitely agree with you that if you're saying, Hey, yeah, we could, if the fund is offering us 500,000 or $5 million, but we really only need 500,000 to this milestone is better to make, conserve that equity because you can, once you validate it, once you take that 500,000, you build out the next phase, you hit the next milestone, your business valuation should increase and the next money is going to be less expensive, or at least it doesn't dilute you as much. 
So now with that, kind of right hand in glove to that, because one of the things that the I'm sure that the funds are going to ask is, you know, how do you how do you uh, substantiate your valuation? In other words, hey, you're saying you're worth 15 million dollars and you only you only earned 100 thousand dollars for this given year probably is a bit of a disconnect generally, unless you have something that you can show otherwise. But how do you kind of go through that? justifying or valuing your business and justifying your valuation such that when you go to pitch it to someone that, that it stands up to that that test and makes sense and is otherwise in line with what where it should be sure so one of the valuation techniques to use is what are called comps or comparables you look for similar businesses that either exited or sold and you use the same metrics there if it's a SaaS business and they are selling for 10x revenue you can consider putting 10x revenue on your SaaS business assuming you have revenue and so you're looking for similar businesses that are not too far away so that's one technique the other technique is what i call the rule of 4 and it says for every um, you, know, you give yourself a million dollars for each of four things. And so that's sales, that's team, that's product, and that's intellectual property. So if your sales are fully in place, give yourself a million dollars. If they're you know, a little bit in place, but not all the way there, we'll give yourself 500K. If your IP is fully in place, everything is patented and warded and so forth, give yourself a million dollars. If you have three provisional patents, well, let's give ourselves maybe 250K because we don't have it all the way there. You apply that to the team and also to the uh the sales product market and the team, you actually apply it to each of those areas. So you can actually put value on the business itself. Because the key here is to articulate the value in the business. If you have three rock star team members, they're all signed up, give yourself a million dollars. And so that's what you're trying to do. If the product is fully featured and shipping and ready to go, then a million dollars. But if it's a beta, Let's give ourselves maybe 350. Then you go add up what was what your score on each of those three things, and that's your valuation. Because no matter what number you put out there on the valuation, the investor will push back and say, how did you arrive at that? And the right answer is, well, these are the values in the business, and this is market rate. Uh, the wrong answer is, well, I did the math to figure out how much I want to own at the end of this process, and so I must be worth $20 million. So you, you have to show that the value is in the business today. No fair trying to look at tomorrow's valuation, but for today's fundraise, which we see a lot of out there. Oh, one day it'll be worth a, million, you know, a billion dollars, therefore I must be worth 50 million now. Not necessarily. You have to show me that you have that in the business right now. And if you can show that, well, then you have an argument that will go forward. No, and I think that, you know, that's always a temptation. Well, once you invest in the, dollar, in the business, <laughs> it's going to be worth billions. And so just invest now. Well, yeah, but now you're asking me to pay as if it's already a billion dollar business when it's not even close to that yet. And you're going to say, I'm not going to invest until it's actually worth that. And then you can ask for that valuation. One of the other things, you know, you hit on is I think, you know, when you're valuating the business, I guess I'll circle back to the question. Within, within each of the different funds, and whether it's, you know, crowd or crowdfunding, whether it's angels, whether it's venture or any of the other ones, is there a minimum requirement for the different types of funds that you actually have to have a product out and out in the marketplace or selling or otherwise have revenue. Or if let's say you're in a situation where you have a great team together, you have some great intellectual property, you're bootstrapping it, you're building it, but it's going to be a much more expensive business. In other words, it takes, you know, three to five years of R and D, but the upside is really great. Is that too early on? And do you just simply have to continue to bootstrap it? Or can you kind of like said, the other categories and say, well, we don't have sales yet, but we have a great team. We have some great intellectual property. We have other things in place and value it off of that. Or how do you go about doing that? If you don't have, if it's going to be a reasonable amount of time before you're able to get to the sales part. 
Sure. Well, if you're in a place uh, like biotech where there's FDA validation, you probably won't have revenue. In fact, you, you definitely won't have revenue if you because you have to go build the technology before you can actually build a product before you can get the validation. And so it's really a different game there. It's not so much on revenue. It's really upon uh, two things. One, the intellectual property that you have. What have you actually licensed or what have you actually uh, patented? And or two, and what I find very interesting is, uh, you know, clinical trials is a, a key thing. If you have a clearly defined path to clinical trials and you know how you're going to pass them, that helps. And then three is uh, what I see more and more is what I call partnership agreements. You know, the pharma is very, very much looking at uh, buying companies that are successful. And so they're out writing partnership agreements with those who look like they have successful technology. So one of the questions I ask those without revenue that are in the biotech space is what does what your partnership agreement list look like? Who have you signed up? Because that's great validation. Because if a big pharma looks at it and says, yeah, we'll sign an agreement, that means there's, some, there's something there. Uh, from the quote-unquote market side of it. Uh, there are pre-revenue uh, VCs, those who see a great team or see a great technology or you're in a hot space, they will come in and invest a little bit of money up front as well. You can go out and raise a uh, little money from angel investors. I find a lot will just throw 510K at a deal. If you get uh, enough of them, you can raise to 5,500. And so at the pre-revenue level, you can get those kind of checks. But if you want real checks, you have to be in the market with revenue. And now you want... 100, 200K checks, well, now you're going to have to have some revenue going with real nice traction and good metrics that are on it as well. So it just depends upon what sector you're in and also uh, what what level of investment that we're looking for to get going. No, I think that's a lot of great advice and definitely makes sense. And now kind of almost following a bit along that, shifting gear slightly, is one of the things we also talked about before was, you know, defining your bit depending on how, what market you define your business in or kind of how you define your business, it can have difference in multiples of valuation. And so looking to get into the categories that are most favorable you, for you is often favorable as you're going out and raising. So maybe help us understand a little bit about the difference between a slow growing market or a fast growing market and how you might define yourself to, to get that more, or more favorable uh, view of it. Sure. So when you go out to the market, you'll, you'll find at any given time, there are certain technologies and markets that are hot. And at some level, you want to be associated with those markets because you'll get some lift on valuation and interest from the investors if you're part of it. In today's market, cybersecurity is very hot. Blockchain is very hot. Uh, climate change is very hot. So if you can tie into those worlds and position your deal as being a part of that space, then you, you will get a lot more interest and it'll be a lot easier. If, on the other hand, you know, you're not necessarily, a lot of people say, well, I've got a deal that you know, does X, so therefore it's just that. Well, if you just work on it a little bit, you might be able to put yourself into a different category. I had a company come to me once that was in the ed tech space. And so I went out to my ed tech investors to uh, offer the deal. And that, that worked well for those guys. And then I realized they have a recurring revenue model. So I had another group of investors that were interested in SaaS-based businesses. They didn't really care what you did as long as you had that business model. So we just repositioned the deal, emphasized the SaaS metrics and went out to 
them. And then we noticed that they also had an impact uh, offering going on in the same business. And so we uh, highlighted the impact metric and went out to our impact investors. So we do a lot of repositioning to make it relevant to the investor that is of interest there. And, and find the deck is the same, but what you emphasize on the front of it is what you're really uh, doing for the repositioning. So think hard about there are many different kinds of investors and how do I be relevant to more than just one? No, I think that is a great, a great piece of advice. And that kind of is, you know, to, to a degree, you're tailoring your business or your pitch and your and your how you're presenting it to the different investors, which requires that you know what the investors are looking for, which requires you to do homework. Now, one question that I get a lot, and we didn't talk before, but I'll throw it to you anyway, is, you know, the question is, is people always want to say, well, I don't know how to do this. Is there just, you know, usually it's kind of like, is there a guy that I could just go hire? Is there someone that, you know, that does this all for me and I don't have to worry about? And is it better to say, hey, you know, the best people that are going to figure out how to go raise and to do that are the people that are the founders that know the technology, know the business and go do that. Or is there a guy that you can go hire that can go do that and it is specialized and can do it just great for you? Kind of how do you address that if they're saying, hey, I don't know anything about this. Is it better to hire someone else? Is there someone else even out there or should I be doing this myself? Sure. So we actually do that at 10 Capital. We help with the fundraise. At heart, we're investor relations and introductions. I got into it because I found when I ran Angel Networks that the hardest part that the startup had was getting the introduction. And the, uh, the near, next hardest part was actually keeping the dialogue going with the investor. Because when you run a, run a fundraise at heart, you're building a relationship with those investors. And many entrepreneurs were just very busy with building product and hiring team and uh, closing customers that the investors tended to fall off the list of things to do. And so that's what we do is we, we handle that aspect of helping build that relationship. And, and you have to do it by repeatedly going out and giving updates on how the business is going. And they look for updates in the area of what you're doing, which primarily is focused around sales, team, product, and fundraise. Those are the core four that investors are interested in. And so we're helping carry that campaign forward after you have the initial introduction to show that you are having a growth story. You are making progress for it. And so at 10 Capital, that's what we do is run those campaigns to help you become successful. It's a high touch. You know, These are people that we know. We're making introductions by email. They're expressing interest, and then we're carrying it forward. And then we also coach through valuations and negotiations uh, for those who need that as well. No, I think that's definitely a, a great resource to have because I think, you know, just like when you get into whether it's intellectual property, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's, you know, sometimes the management, finances, and all those are areas that you may do awesome at and have experience to do great at. And there are other areas that you're just less familiar. Sometimes you have to come up to speed because you don't have a choice. But a lot of times finding those experts and those people that can help you out can make it a leverage the time and resources and money you do have in order to make it more profitable. Now, I'll follow up one more question. Then I do have my last question always hit on the podcast. But before we get there, you know, I've seen now I've taken my personal bias a, a bit. You know, there are some great where I see, you know, there are businesses out there that are, you know, and I won't name any that are pitch themselves as, hey, we'll we'll get the, you know, you come with come to us with an idea and we'll do it all for you. We'll make it and we'll find the investors and we'll sell it for you. And you just come to us with an idea. Now within the investor community, you see some of those that are, you know, kind of the snake oil salesmen and the charlatans in the sense that, hey, the will give me some money, hire me on, and I'll go find a whole bunch of investors for you. And then I see that, you know, it doesn't work out. So and there are some awesome ones that are worth more than what you're 
paying for and more than what they're taking their cut because they do a great job of having the connections, finding the businesses. But if you don't know how to select, other than going with you, which I definitely recommend, but if they're just looking for general kind of some guidelines as to how to find those people that will help them or throughout this portion of the journey, what are some kind of tips or red flags or things you should look for or things that you should avoid? Well, you look for those who have a track record in the kind of deal that you have. There's many different kinds of startups, and you're looking for those that are successful in the area in which you are. You, they have a network, and they have an experience in that space that you can look at and say, yeah, they know this space very well, and they've done this for other people also. So that's the, the first thing to look for. And the second thing to look for is you know, just, just how much are they actually charging in this case, uh, I find that the, those broker dealers, for example, they, they work very well in the middle market, but when they come down into the startup market, it, it gets to be harder for them because they may or may not have the network there, or it may not be as easy to sell because there's still a little bit of a future things going on with the startup itself. So I wonder about brokers that come into the seed stage, uh, are they really ready for that? Because they're, they're better positioned for the later stage for sure. No, and it sounds like I kind of summarize that. Do your deal just like you should on every other part of your business. Do a bit of due diligence on the or company that you're looking to make a connection with or, or do an arrangement. If they have the experience, they've done deals in the past and these same same or similar things. And for the kind of evaluation or the type of raise you're trying to do, then it's, it can be a good match and you should do, or connect with them and vice versa. If they don't have experience, then it may be a, or continue to, to move on or look, or look forward. So. We can chat, and this is a fun area, at least for me, that I love to talk about it just because, I, you know, it's, a, it's certainly a big part of the startup and the business world. But as we are wrapping towards the end of the podcast, I always ask one question at the end for the expert episode, so we'll jump to that now, which is, you know, we talked about a lot of things, everything from how to get fund or how to get started, how to find investors, how, to, how much you should raise, you know, when you should cap it, you know, finding out about, uh, you know, or how do you define what markets you're in, and we talked about a whole lot. Now, if we were to boil that down, because that's a whole lot and it's typically going to be overwhelming, but if you were to talk to someone that's, you know, in the startup small business phase and kind of looking to either get started, starting to get into the fundraising or get growing and wanted to add some fuel to the fire, they could have just one takeaway, one thing that they really should get started on or get going today, what would that one thing be? Oh, if you're raising money, the key is you you have to demonstrate a growth story, not just predict it. Because when I ran Angel Networks, what I saw is entrepreneurs coming in and pitching to my room full of investors. 90% would pitch once, go away. We would never hear from them again. Don't know what happened to them. They just disappeared on us. 10% though came back, gave us updates, reminders. And on the fourth update out came the checkbooks. And what investors were doing was trying to see that, are we really growing? Are we really hitting the milestones? Uh, sales team product, are they moving forward? And they don't have to hit, you don't have to hit your forecast. You just have, but you have to show that you have some traction and some momentum behind it. And you, you can't really can't do that in one pitch. You really have to do that over a period of time, uh, one, two, three months in most cases to show that, yeah, we are moving forward. So the key is, and building a little bit of a relationship is always a, a great thing there as well, because you're going to be in the deal with the long, with the investors for a period of time. And, and they know that too. So they're looking to check you out. You're looking to check them out. So the key is you have to demonstrate the growth story. So step one, you must have a growth story. Step two, you must be able to tell it or articulate it. And 90% of those people that walked out that door, I think a fair, almost half of them probably had a growth story, but they just never came back and told us. So they just never picked up the money for that reason. 
No, I think that's some great takeaways. Find it, figure out what your girl story, make sure you have a girl story, figure out what it is, make sure you well convey it. And then even the third one you hit on is stay in touch. In other words, just because you pitch them once a day, it may not be the right time or the right uh, deal for them today. But as you continue to cultivate those relationships, it may be down the road and it may be as you continue to grow and show that growth story that they may uh, be able, or opening up the checkbooks later on. So I think that is definitely some great takeaways. Well, as people want to, whether they want to be in, an, uh, they want to pitch you, they want to see if you can or either invest in them or find someone to invest in them. They want to be an employee. They want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Our website is tincapital.group.group. Uh, there's no .com on that. The .coms were taken up years ago, but tincapital.group is where you reach us, and you can always leave a message for us to ask for if you need to help ra find raising funding or you need to invest or you want help on your business. We have uh, sessions. We have 15 events a month. Love to have you come out to some of those to connect with us as well. But, yeah, that's the best way is the tincapital.group. And that's 10 with the T, or just for those listeners, 10 is spelled out T-E-N, right? So not the number, yeah. but the, the spelling out. So 10 with T-E-N capital dot group. Definitely encourage people to go out there, connect up and, uh, and uh, is a, use it as a great resource. Great. Well, thank you again, Hall, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners that are out there, um, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you have an expertise that you'd like to share, we'd love to have you on. Just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. And we'd love to have you couple more things make sure to listen make sure to uh, subscribe make sure to share because we want to make sure that everybody finds out about these awesome episodes and last but not least if you ever need help with patents trademarks or anything else in the business just go to strategymeeting.com grab some time with us to chat we're always here to help thank you again hall and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last thanks for having me